0: I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis as we continue walking our way through the very first book of the Bible. I want you to know that if you are new to North River Church, our pattern week in and week out is to open God's Word together, to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so I want to encourage you as you come in on Sundays to bring a copy of God's Word with you, whether that's a physical copy or a digital copy. And also want you to know, if you came in this morning, you say, Pastor, I don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you, there should be some in the back of the seat somewhere around you, if you don't own a Bible, just take that home with you as our gift to you. For us at North River Church, God's Word serves as the foundation of everything that we do, and so every week you can be assured that we are going to spend time together in His Word and ask Him to speak to us. Through it. As we begin in Genesis chapter 6 this morning, we'll pick up in verse 9 in just a second. But I don't know if you know this or not, if you're paying attention to the calendar, but we are near the end of the month of February already. How many of you, let's with a show of hands, made a New Year's resolution this year or set some type of goal? Really? Okay, there we go. I knew you must be out there, right? You know, they tell us, researchers do, that it's about 41% of people going into the new year will make some type of goal or some type of resolution, something that they want to be different from one year to the next. Here's where it gets really interesting. Typically, only 9% of people succeed in the course of a year. How about this? 65% don't keep it through the month of January. (laughs) How many of you are like, that's me, Pastor, thanks. You know, it's interesting when you look at setting goals, when you look at the research around it this guy by the name of James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits and through his research and reading other studies he looked at what does it take to actually set a goal and to achieve that goal and he describes the process in like layers maybe like an onion and he said you know the outside layer is really changing the outcome of what's going on. So you look at something and you say, okay, I see myself in the mirror and I need to lose about 32 pounds, right? (laughs) I look and I say, this is, this is my goal. I want to change the outcome of what I look like in the mirror, You may do any uh, number of things. I want to read a certain amount of books, or I want to write a book, or I want to do a better job in my relationship with my spouse, or whatever it may be. You want to change the outcome. He said, here's the problem. Change of outcome typically doesn't work very well. Doesn't really have a whole lot of teeth to it. He said if you go a little deeper in, the next layer is actually changing the process. Changing the systems that are in place. Kind of like habits. So if you look and you say, I want to lose 32 pounds this year. One of the habits that you could do is actually go and join a gym. Or maybe set out your workout clothes on the beginning of the night before, so that when you wake up in the morning, you know that that's what you need to do. He said, now, that helps when you're trying to accomplish a goal, when you're trying to change an outcome, but he said, only so much. He said, when you get to the core of the research, what they say is that if you really want to accomplish a goal, you have to change your identity. You have to change your perspective, your worldview, the way that you look at yourself and the world around you. So for instance, you want to lose weight in the course of this next year? He says, you want to change the way that you look at yourself. You say something like, you know what? I want to be a person who is healthy, that exercises and eats less, And then you put the processes and systems in place, and then you have the potential to accomplish the goal. But he said it begins with your identity. Your identity drives your behavior. As we look at Genesis chapter 6, we were introduced last week to Noah. And it closed out in verse 8 that Noah had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And as we read through the text this morning, I want you to take note of because the writer of the book of Genesis is going to describe Noah's identity. It's going to say, this is who Noah is. And then by contrast, this is what the world around Noah looked like. And then we're going to see that the Lord is going to ask Noah to do something, to do something pretty extraordinary, pretty wild. And Noah takes the step of obedience and does what God has called him to do. Noah's identity will drive his behavior in walking in obedience to the Lord in the text this morning. So I want to read for us. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, this is what God's Word says. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 300 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. I mentioned it earlier in the introduction of the message this morning, but it's this truth, identity drives behavior. Identity drives behavior. You can say it another way, who you are drives what you do. Who you are drives what you do. What we're going to see this morning is a description of Noah, Noah's identity. This is who Noah is. Now, it's going to be put into relationship with the world around him, those who were seeking not to follow the Lord, and then it's going to be put into a larger context of God asking Noah to take a step of obedience to walk with him. And we're going to see that Noah does, in fact, take that step of obedience So for every single one of us this morning, when it comes to our relationship with God, we have an identity. You're either here this morning and you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, or you don't. And the reality is that determines how you live your life. I want you to notice beginning in verses 9 through 12 we're going to see this contrast between Noah's identity and the world around Noah. Let's look first at Noah beginning in verse 9. This is how Noah is described. These are the generations of Noah. Notice first Noah was the text says a righteous man. Notice secondly Noah was blameless in his generation. Thirdly, Noah walked with God. Noah was a righteous man. Noah was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. You say, man, it sounds like Noah's a pretty good guy. But I want you to notice there's more to it than just that. In fact, when the text gives these characteristics, these markers of identity of Noah, it is telling us something. And I want you to take notice first and foremost when it says Noah was a righteous man, that it's describing Noah's relationship with God. That before God, Noah was a righteous man. Now here's what we know as we look through Scripture that... Righteousness before God is not on the basis of anything that we can do. What we find out is that righteousness before God's eyes is totally dependent on what Jesus Christ has done for us. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the same thing is true of you that said here of Noah that when God looks at you, he sees righteousness. But not your righteousness, ultimately it's Jesus Christ's righteousness that covers you. You say, hang on just a second, Pastor, this is in the Old Testament. So you're telling me that Noah, when God says Noah was a righteous man, that it's on the basis not of the works that Noah did, but it's ultimately on the basis of Noah's faith in the coming Messiah that God would deliver what he said he would deliver, and exactly right. So we find out when we fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, we realize that all of the Old Testament saints were not saved on the basis of their good works. No one can be saved on the basis of their good works. They were saved on the basis of faith in God to fulfill his promise of bringing a Messiah. Messiah. They were looking forward to what we look back on, and that is ultimately Jesus Christ coming to this earth, laying his life down, paying for our sin upon the cross, dying, being buried, but raising again on the third day, securing salvation for us. Our standing before God as a follower of Jesus Christ is on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. The same is true for Noah. The text says, Noah was a righteous man. That was his standing before God. In fact, it's a legal term when you look it up. You realize that what it's saying is that in God's eyes, when he looks at Noah, he sees Noah and says, not guilty. When I was young, I had, for some reason, a fascination with the O.J. Simpson trial. You remember that? I remember watching the White Bronco on the freeway there. I remember actually paying attention to the trial as it was going on. I stayed some with my grandparents at that point, and my grandmother actually encouraged me, which is a little strange when you think of it. She said, you should keep a, a booklet, like a scrapbook, of newspaper article, I mean, they were printing newspaper articles all the time before we had the internet, right? And so I did. So like I was tracking what was going on all the way through the trial. I was watching it on TV. I was reading newspaper articles about it. I remember if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Y'all remember that? I remember all of that. Somebody here all like, you had a weird childhood, didn't you? <laughs> Just a bit. But I remember at the very end that they made a declaration about O.J. Simpson, whether they were right or wrong, but what they declared was he was not guilty. I want you to hear me this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that same declaration has been made over you, not because of what you've done. But because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. At this point in the text, the Lord says about Noah, Noah was a righteous man. want oh, you know, notice the second description, though, of Noah is talking not about necessarily his relationship with the Lord, but his relationship to the world around him. It said Noah was blameless in his generation. Noah was blameless in his generation. When you looked at Noah's life in relationship to the world around him, there was something different, something set apart about Noah's life. Now here's what we know. For us as followers of Jesus, the same thing has been declared true about our life that we are set apart, we are sanctified, we are different than the world around us. And that as we live the Christian life out in a world that is far from God, we should continue to look different than the world around us. That's what it's saying here about Noah. So not only in God's sight was Noah righteous, declared not guilty, but in the world around Noah, It was evident that there was something unique and different about Noah's life and the way he lived it out. Let me ask you just a simple question this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, would people look at your life and make this same declaration? Would people look at your life and say, there is something different, something unique, something set apart about their life? For Noah, that is exactly what was said about him. And then notice this third description of Noah's identity. Noah walked with God. So not only in the eyes of God was Noah righteous, was he declared holy, but in the eyes of the world around him, Noah was set apart, he was different. But notice the pattern of Noah's life. Noah walked with God. He walked with God. He walked in obedience to the Lord. There's only a couple of other people that we've encountered through the text so far that that description has been made of, that they walked with God. The picture there is the pattern of Noah's life was walking in obedience to the Lord day in, day out. Again, I ask you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, would that be true of you? Would you look at your life and say the pattern of your life is that of walking in obedience to the Lord? My prayer, my hope for us as followers of Jesus is that we could simply substitute our name in this text. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't sin or that we don't mess up. It's none of that. But what it is is the pattern of Noah's life is lived out of obedience to the Lord because of who he is in Christ. And for you and for me as followers of Jesus, that same thing should be true of us. I want you to notice that we see a very different description of the world around Noah, beginning in verse 11. It says the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Notice the contrast there. When he looked at Noah, Noah was a righteous man. But when you looked at the world around Noah, the description is it's corrupt. It's not declared innocent. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. Because we find out that they did not have a relationship with God. So when I said this morning earlier that you have two types of people here, those who have a relationship with the Lord and those who don't, there is a stark contrast here when it comes to your identity before God. In fact, when we look in the New Testament, what we recognize and understand is that sin in our life that's never been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that for anyone who stands in that position of never having trusted Jesus as their Savior, the Scripture paints the picture of being at war an enemy of God. And so what we see here is that on display the earth was corrupt in God's sight but notice I want you to continue to see the description here the earth was filled with violence so whereas Noah was blameless in his generation Noah when you looked at his life in relationship to the other people was set apart was distinct was sanctified he, the description here of the world around Noah is very bleak, very dark. In fact, it says it is filled with violence. How did the people interact with one another? Well, we see as we began to walk our way through chapter 6 that the intent of every single person's heart was evil, and they carried that out. Let me say this to you. Do not be surprised as a follower of Jesus to see people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ living a life that matches their identity. You know, sometimes as believers, we wring our hands and we think that people that don't know Jesus should act like they know Jesus. And the reality is what we're reminded of is that doesn't happen. We see it on display here in the text this morning. Their identity before God, who they were, was corrupt. Their identity with one another was filled with violence. Notice verse 12 tells us the pattern of the lives of the people that were around Noah. God saw the earth. Behold, it was corrupt. Listen to this. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now think about it just for a moment, in relation to Noah and the world in which he lived, can you imagine what that must have been like? Now we look around and we say, well, pastor, have you seen the world in which we live? I have, but if you pay attention to what's going on there, it is incredibly dark and bleak. You say, well, it looks really dark and bleak today, and I don't disagree with you, but... Praise God that as we look at Noah, and we're going to find out that it's just going to be Noah's family that the Lord saves in the ark. As we look around, at least in this room alone, we have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we get to navigate this world through with. At this point in time, the description of Noah's identity and the world's identity is on display. So here's the question. What then happens when God says to Noah, here's what I want you to do. Notice as we begin to look at the world's behavior versus Noah's behavior, beginning in verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth fast forward just a bit to verse 17 he continues on speaking about the world for behold i'll bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh and which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die see god's word reminds us that the wages of sin ultimately is death And God here is saying to Noah in the course of history as he's looking around at the sinfulness of humanity and saying to Noah, here is the judgment that is about to come. I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Say, man, that seems a bit harsh for God here. What about mercy? What about God's grace? Like, It seems as if sometimes you read through the Old Testament and you go, there's a God of wrath and judgment here. You get to the New Testament, there's a God of mercy and grace here. How do those two things add up? The reality is, same God. And in this moment, as Noah is about to be told what his step of obedience needs to look like, I want you to keep in mind that it takes Noah decades to build this ark. And what we find out when we fast forward into the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews, what we realize is that it says there that God's patience waited in the days of Noah. That God was willing to extend His grace and His mercy to any who turned from their sin and returned to Him. God was ready to save them in the same way that He saved Noah. But hear me, no one wanted it. No one desired to receive what Noah had received. Their behavior, their sin warranted God's judgment, though, even recognizing that God extended the time to give them an opportunity to respond to Him, and they rejected Him anyway. I want you to notice, though, what happens with Noah beginning in verse 14. The Lord tells Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower and second and third decks. So the Lord in the midst of saying to Noah, Noah, I am about to exercise my judgment. I'm going to flood the earth. Noah, you need to build a boat. And this isn't some small boat. Cruise liner size boat. Now think about that. Noah is just told by the Lord that you need to build a boat that is 450 feet long. You imagine Noah going, Lord, um, really and it's supposed to be how wide and how and I'm wait I'm supposed to build this and and then you're gonna send a flood which at this point had no clue what that was I mean just think in this moment the Lord is saying to Noah here's what you want what you need to do say okay fast-forward into verse 18 The Lord says to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you. It's the first time the word covenant is used. The Lord is promising to Noah something far beyond what Noah could understand in this moment. And ultimately, when you fast forward throughout history, what you recognize is that we, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, or a recipient of the new covenant made available By the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that Jesus is in fact our ark, the way in which we are saved. But I want you to notice. He says, You're going to come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now, notice verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sword into the ark to keep them alive with you. What? I mean, just imagine Noah's head spinning in this moment. Okay, I'm building this massive boat, and then I'm supposed to gather up all of the animals... Two by two, male and female, and they're going to be in the ark with me. And the birds? And all the creeping things on the ground, verse 20 says, two of every sort are going to come in. Notice verse 21, also, you're going to take every sort of food that is eaten and store it up and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Okay, God, I'm building a boat. I'm bringing all of these animals in. I have to gather food enough to feed all of these animals and to feed my family. Notice in verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Even though Noah probably had very little understanding outside of this is what God is going to do, and this is what God has told me to do, he didn't understand how it all worked, couldn't understand probably how it all fit together in God's plan and what God was going to accomplish. But I want you to notice that verse 22 tells us Noah did exactly what God had called him to do. Noah's identity drove Noah's behavior in walking in obedience to the Lord. Here's a question for you this morning as a follower of Jesus. What is the step of obedience that God has laid before you and asked you to take? We see what it was for Noah. No, I want you to build a boat, grab the animals, grab food. This is what you're supposed to do. What about you? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I am absolutely convinced that there is a next step of obedience in your life as a follower of Jesus. I don't know what yours is, but my question to you in relation to the text this morning is, are you willing to take that step of obedience? Maybe for you, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never taken the step of baptism. That would be the next step for you. We'd love to help you take that step. Maybe for you, you're looking at a situation in your life. Maybe you're a teenager here, and for you to live a godly life in this world, in the school that you're in, is a difficult thing to do, but God's desire is for you to take that step of obedience and walk with him regardless of what may happen as a result. Maybe you're a businessman here, and for you, you've got a situation that you're walking through at work right now, and you can take a shortcut, you can do the wrong thing and still hopefully come out okay, and you've been contemplating that and wondering, and the Lord has laid before you this morning, here's the step of obedience that you need to take. What is that step for you? What is that step as a follower of Jesus that you need to take in your relationship with the Lord to walk in obedience with Him? You may be here this morning, and for you, you've never taken the very first step, and that is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To receive the gift of salvation that his life and his death, his resurrection makes possible for you. To take you from being what was described by the world in these verses and to put you in the position of where Noah sat. Righteous in the sight of God. Not because of what Noah did but ultimately because of what Jesus Christ did on his behalf. You today can receive Jesus Christ's righteousness for yourself today. Would you take that step? I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning and our worship team will make their way back up. If you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, receiving that free gift of salvation, you have the opportunity right now to take that step. To simply right now, between you and the Lord, simply admit that you are a sinner and that you can't save yourself. And that you believe Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, did what you could not do. He paid for your sins on the cross. He died and He rose again on the third day, securing salvation. And your desire today is to receive that free gift. We'd love to help you take that step this morning, if that's the step that you need to take. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. Myself, Pastor Aaron will be down front. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe even after the service this morning, maybe you fill out a connection card and just say, I need to take that step. Drop it off at the next step table. We'd love to be in touch with you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to just pause for a moment and rejoice and celebrate who you are in Christ. What he's done for you that you could not do on your own. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what is that step of obedience that God's called you to take? Will you make that commitment this morning? to take that step Father we ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives through your word as you have been God that we would be willing to respond to you in the way that you've called us to today we ask this in Jesus name Amen would you stand and as we sing you respond to the Lord this morning our altar is open pastors will be down front you respond